Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Sermons Podcast. My name's Stuart, I'm the Minister at St Ninian's in Stonehouse, which is in Scotland. We are a local ecumenical partnership between the Church of Scotland and the United Reformed Church and that means we reflect both traditions in our work and worship. So let's listen to our reading for this week and then get on to the sermon. Our first reading today is from Micah, chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. The Lord's case against Israel. Listen to the Lord's case against Israel. Arise, O Lord, and present your case. Let the mountains and the hills hear what you say. You mountains, you everlasting foundation of the earth, listen to the Lord's case. The Lord has a case against his people. He is going to bring an an accusation against Israel. The Lord says, My people, what have I done to you? How have I been a burden in you? Answer me. I brought you out of Egypt. I rescued you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to lead you. My people, remember what King Balak of Moab planned to do to you, and how Balaam, son of Boar, answered him. Remember the things that happened on the way from the camp to Acadia, to Gilgal. Remember these things, and you will realize what I did in order to save you. What shall I bring to the Lord, the God of heaven, when I come to worship him? Shall I bring the best calves to burn as offerings to him? Will the Lord be pleased if I bring him thousands of sheep or endless streams of olive oil? Shall I offer him my firstborn child to pay for my sins? No, the Lord has told us what is good. What he requires of us is this, to do what is just, to show constant love, and to live in humble fellowship with our God. Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus saw the crowds and went up a hill, where he sat down. His disciples gathered round him, and he began to teach them. Happy are those who know that they are spiritually poor. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Happy are those who mourn. God will comfort them. Happy are those who are humble. They will receive what God has promised. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. God will satisfy them fully. Happy are those who are merciful to others. God will be merciful to them. Happy are the pure in heart. They will see God. Happy are those who work for peace. God will call them his children. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Happy are you when people insult you and persecute you and tell all kinds of evil lies against you because you are my followers. Be happy and glad, for a great reward is kept for you in heaven. This is how the prophets who lived before you were persecuted. Amen. So here we are still right near the start of Matthew's gospel. Matthew's story about who Jesus is and, well, what kind of Messiah he's going to be. And we find this strange passage that we have come to know as the Beatitudes. It's a series of nine statements about blessing. And it comes at the start of this big long block of teaching that's become known as the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we read the verses 
before this, from chapter 4, about Jesus calling four ordinary fishermen. But we stopped at verse 22. Three verses short of the end of the chapter. And today we start at verse 1 of chapter 5. So we've missed out three verses. And we missed them out because, well, they don't really go with the one before. And they don't really go with the one that we read today. They're just kind of there in the middle. But they're really, really important. This is what they say. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout Syria and they brought their sick to him. Those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demonics, epileptics and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and Jerusalem, and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. The Decapolis was a a group of ten cities all around that area, mostly now in Jordan, and Syria, and some in Israel. The kind of ten great cities of the region. And people came from all those places to see Jesus. These verses tell us what Jesus has been doing, and who he's been doing them with. He's been teaching, proclaiming the good news, and curing every disease and every kind of sickness. And he's become famous already. People are coming from all over to see Jesus. We read today that there was a crowd of people there. I wonder who they were. Well, actually, we don't need to wonder very much. They were those people, they were the people who had come to see Jesus, the people who had been cured of their diseases and their friends and their families who had brought them. People Jesus had already made a difference to. The sick, those who were afflicted with various things, demonics, epileptics and paralytics, all of them had been cured. And Jesus does this first. Jesus had a reputation before he starts to teach and speak. The people want to hear him because of what he's done. So often our leaders make all kinds of promises. Vote for me and I'll do this. They might have no intention of ever doing it in the first place. Or they never quite get around to it. Or there's always something that gets in the way. But that's not the case with Jesus. Jesus does first and then speaks. He takes people to the top of a mountain. There's a theme that runs all the way through Matthew's gospel that paints Jesus as the new Moses. Moses, of course, saved the people from slavery. He led them out of Egypt into the promised land so that they could live there as a new kind of people, a new community. And it was on the mountain that God first appeared to Moses in a burning bush. And then he went back up the mountain and God gave him the Ten Commandments. God spoke to him. God appeared to Moses. Revelation happens on the mountain. God is revealed to his people. So in Matthew's gospel, Jesus, remember, runs away as a a very small child to Egypt and comes back from Egypt across the Jordan into the promised land. So Matthew sets up this idea that Jesus is the new Moses. And just like Moses, Jesus goes up the mountain That sounds very grand. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, the mountains aren't actually very big. They're just kind of like hills. They're not even as big as Tinto. So this hill that he goes up is just, it's it's a bit of a bump. It's not 
huge. It's not a mountain. It's not thousands of metres into the sky or anything like that. And we think of going up a hill as taking us away from everything, don't we? You go to climb the mountains to get away from everything else. But the mountains around Lake Galilee actually give you a brilliant view of everything. They raise you up so that you can see further. You can see all the towns all around the lake. You can see the ones that are in Israel and the ones that are on the other side of the lake in Syria. You can see the boats going up and down on the water, fishing or bringing goods and people up and down and up and down. You can see the Roman garrison at Tiberias. And you can see the hot springs that are just along the shore from Capernaum where people went to be healed. So Jesus takes people up up onto the mountain so that he can teach them, so they can see him, but also so that they can see their world presented to them. They can see everything that's important to them. They can see commerce and trade. They can see the Roman occupation. They can see the synagogue. All the things that the people think are important, all the places and people who have power are there before them. And Jesus points to them And starts to go through this really strange list of people who are blessed or happy. People we would never think of as blessed. People we would rather be anything else than. People that society says we should avoid or avoid being. The poor in spirit. Those who mourn the meek. Who wants to be that? Why on earth would anybody choose to be like that? And how can they be blessed? Because they've lost everything. Well, because these people are as far away from the priorities of what the world tells us is good as it's possible to be. The poor in spirit, those who mourn the meek, have lost everything that's dear to them. The things that are most valuable, power and status and wealth, and those they love the most. They see value in things that are real. And can see right through the false claims of the world with all its superficial, vacuous nonsense. Blessed are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. But that's not all of us, is it? It might be most of us at some points in our lives, but it's not all of us all the time. But the translation doesn't quite give the whole picture. I've spoken before about the Hebrew word chesed. You'll probably remember because I did that. Chesed. Which means something along the lines of love lived out. It doesn't just mean blessed and it doesn't just mean happy. It means much, much more than that. Love lived out, demonstrated, shown for others. Chesed, love lived out, is what being poor of spirit looks like. Because to be poor in spirit means to be completely lacking in ego. To be completely not self-centered. And if we're completely lacking in that, then there's much more room for God. Chesed, love lived out, is what happens in bereavement. How often do we say that we don't know what we've got until it's gone? 
I'm not sure that we can ever fully know how much we love someone until they're taken away from us. That's the point that we know. Chesed, love lived out, is when you have no ambition because you're content, happy to see others flourish around you. But the rest of the Beatitudes are things that we can all be. We can all hunger and thirst for righteousness. We can all be merciful. We can all strive to be pure in heart. And each of us can do our best to make peace. Because those are the way that this radical upside-down kingdom that Jesus talks about comes into being. Jesus is presenting a manifesto. A manifesto for the kingdom of God. And none of it's new. It's all stuff from the Psalms and the Prophets. Jesus has taken the things that the people know and put them together in a different way so that they can see something important. Things that they say all the time or they sing as part of worship. Things that they hear again and again in the synagogues. These are the things that God has been trying to say all along. Look. Understand. Really listen. And the thing is that we all know it's true. Just like the people then did. Jesus is naming the reality of the lives of the people of that time. He's pointing to the powers that be and saying, well, this, this is your life. This is what the world tells you is important. But Jesus has already exercised a different kind of power. And his teaching gives, gives language to what the people have just experienced. He's saying to them, look, look around. Look at all of this. You are these people. These people that I'm talking about, you are the meek and the poor in spirit and the bereaved because that's what this life has done to you. It's told you that you're worth nothing. It's taken away everything that you have. It says that you should be shunned, that you have no contribution to make because you can't work or you're in some way dis disabled or distressed or distraught. People like you aren't valued by the system because you can't be productive. You can't buy things. You don't fit into the world's narrow view of what wealth and happiness looks like. And before he said all of that, Jesus made them whole because that's what God's kingdom looks like. He showed them how it worked and then gave them words to explain it. This is the good news. This is what it looks like. This is what you have experienced. This is what makes it real for me and for you. And this is what it could look like if we valued these things. Peace and mercy and justice instead of the world Eric Barreto suggests that both the Sermon on the Mount and the Ten Commandments are not rules as much as they are a vision for communal wholeness. A vision for communal wholeness rooted in God's liberation of the oppressed. These stories are told and embedded within a big story, a much larger story about the character of a faithful God. That's why Jesus draws on the scriptures that the people know. 
This is how God has always been. Look, again and again and again, God says this. Look at Micah that we read this morning. His confrontation with the people is almost comic. The prophet stands up as if it was a trial, a trial of God, and speaks for God, right? So what's your problem? What is it I've done? I mean, apart from save you from the Egyptians and slavery and give you somewhere to live and, you know, created a community that's great for you. I mean, but apart from that, what is it I've done that's so bad? You with all your sacrifices. You think that's what God wants? Bigger and bigger and more and more elaborate. Thousands of goats, rivers of oil. Even the kings were still sacrificing children to a God who calls for justice and mercy. All God wants of us, all God has ever wanted from us is to do justice. To love kindness, to walk humbly with God. And that's what Jesus reminds us of in the Beatitudes. And people will take offense at that. And that's how we'll know we're doing it right. Because to live like this undermines the sham of power. It undoes all the lies we're told about possessions bringing happiness. It lays bare the claims of fashion and fad, of fame and fortune. Chesed, love lived out. It's where the kingdom of God begins to take root and begins to grow. But where will we see these beatitudes lived out today? Where will we bear witness to this alternative kingdom full of those whom Christ calls blessed? Will we recognize the poor of spirit and those who mourn? Will we notice the weak and the meek? Those who hunger for righteousness because they have none. Will we point out the merciful or the poor in heart? Will we stand alongside the peacemakers? Stand beside those who have been treated unfairly. Close enough to attract some of their harassment. Will we be able to see and stay close to those Christ calls blessed? And learn to live ourselves in that blessing. Even though people point and stare and say terrible things about us. Blessed. Chesed. Blessed are we all who seek for the kingdom of God. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please do get in touch. We create this podcast at anchor.fm where you can leave us a voice message. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We post the audio of the whole service each week on our website. There are details of all of this in the show notes. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.